tells us that if you're not happy, you can just change your job and your relationship, start a hobby, have a baby, get a puppy or five. We are constantly facing change in the pursuit of happiness. And yet, deep down, we resist it so much because nobody teaches us how to navigate transitions. I am here to change that. Join me and my guests every week to find the inspiration and actionable steps to dive into your next great chapter. Let's write it together. Welcome, I'm Olga Nadal and you are listening to your next great chapter, the podcast to master life transitions with ease and courage. And today's show is sponsored by Divorce for Love. For those of you new to the show, I am the founder of Divorce for Love, where I educate, inspire, and coach those going through possibly one of the most challenging transitions you may face in your life. If you are thinking about divorce or have started the process and are feeling lost, go and watch the masterclass I made for you on the five secrets you must know about divorce. These five secrets can save you a ton of money and sleepless nights. The link is in the notes, so head over there right after today's show. Everybody, this week I have with me beautiful Leah Morris from Life Remade. She is a relationship transition coach and she is the beautiful soul that is going to tell us her story about how she remade her life, she learned the lessons, the ups and downs of her divorce, and all the other transformations that she's gone through life. So, hello, Leah, welcome to our community. Hi, it's so good to be talking with you today. And- sort of diving in a little more to the personal stuff. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to open our hearts and share the truth about the transformations that you've already gone through, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love talking about my story, but I don't get to do it very often because I think that being a transition coach, I tend to hear people's stories more. And I think that sometimes there's a disconnect with the way that people see me because it's just here I am on the other side of the journey that I've been on. And so it's nice to actually look back, even just for my own personal sake, to see how far I've come. That's very true. We usually are helping other people get on Mm -hmm. the live uh, boat and we don't take the time to look back and go, oh, I was once where they were and this is where I am right now. So tell us, how is it that you help people? How it is that you have help yourself in your own circumstances? So like my title that I've self-appointed says I'm a a relationship and life transition coach. And so I really focus on when people are in the midst of a big change in their life, whether it's career change, relationship change, even just a change in the way that they're viewing themselves. And typically I help people who have been disempowered. And I like to say intuitively disempowered, like they don't know how to listen to their intuitions, hear their instincts. They don't know how to empower what's true for them and then use that to live their life. And typically people who I feel have been intuitively disempowered, it's usually due to a kind of an overbearing upbringing in childhood or a emotionally abusive relationship that they had been in. This is the pattern that I find my clients to be in. And I think it's because I myself have been through these things. And so I feel that 
I have language and the messaging that draws people to me who have similar stories as me. Mm -hmm. And I guess just to give you like a background of my story, I'll start with the beginning because I think that's ultimately where I found myself. I found myself in the midst of a divorce about four years ago, but it was as a result of so many other things that happened in my life leading up. The divorce was the catalyst for me to become what I am now, but I think that I am what I am now because of everything that led up to that catalyzing moment. I was raised in a very strict Christian household, and I was the oldest of seven kids. And so I don't know if you can imagine being the oldest of seven kids, first of all, it's like my greatest role in life is to just naturally be a leader. I know how to care for a number of people all at once and to always be considering what's best for everyone else. And oftentimes to lay aside my own wants and needs in order to ensure the happiness and ease of people's lives around me. I think that comes from being an oldest child and always being told your siblings are depending on you. You're an example. It's up to you to be in charge when we're gone or just in charge in general. Always thinking that the eyes were on me and always thinking that I had something to prove to make sure everyone else was okay. So this has, as you can probably sense, a toxic tinge to it as well. Very wonderful. It's one of the best things about me, I believe, but it's also one of the things that really kept me from knowing what it is that I wanted and needed. And so along with being the oldest of seven kids, like I said, was raised in a very Christian upbringing where not only was I trying to look out for everybody else, but I was also under the impression, at least in, in the way that I was raised, that is nothing really that I could do right to be enough. There was always this verse that, the Bible verse that keeps popping in my head was, this goes something along the lines of, you always fall short of the glory of God. And that it is due to his mercy that I'm even allowed to be alive and that I spend my life in servitude trying to prove myself to get into heaven. And so there's this constant need for approval, constant fear of rejection, constant fear of not being good enough, fear of, again, not only everyone around me's feelings, but this entity above me that is judging me constantly. I was not given the tools to check in with myself in any sense at all. And even when I did, I found myself to feel shameful and guilty and burdensome. Another thing that went along with being the oldest child was that, I don't know if you've heard of this term before, it's called parentification, where one of the children takes on a more parental role in the household. My parents got divorced when I was very young, um, about four years old. And in that, my mom, I'm giving you the full story, but yes. my mom was extremely 
in a lot of pain and hurt. My dad left her for another woman. And in her trauma of that divorce, she turned to me and I became her rock. So I, in a lot of ways, was not only parenting my younger siblings, but also my mother. And always under the impression too, she would tell me things like, I wouldn't be able to get through this without you. And in my little four-year-old mind, I thought that must mean she would die if I wasn't her rock. And so my only avenue to stay connected to her and to keep this family going is for me to set aside my own tears and my own complaints and my own needs and my own wants and the want to play, the want to be free, the want to do what four-year-olds do because I am responsible for keeping her okay. And I know she didn't mean for that to happen, Mm -hmm. but I think that it is actually a pretty common thing that is the reason why a lot of my clients end up coming to me is there's this things that happen in parents' lives sometimes. And if they are not emotionally equipped to deal with them, there ends up being a dysfunctional, inappropriate exchange of dependency upon a parent to a child. And that child loses all sense of themselves. And that's exactly what happened to me. And now that I know that my life looks a lot different, but I wanted to give that background because I think it's very important when you're understanding your current situation, I always ask, but why? And then where did that come from? And before that and that, and really if I ask myself where this situation with my mom came from, It came from her parents and probably her being the rock in their life and her not feeling heard enough as a child herself and not knowing how to manage her own emotions on her own. And so having those spill onto me, the only person that would sit and listen because I had to, I was sort of forced into that, right? And so as I got older, I found myself in a string of relationships and friendships as well, where I felt like I had a need to be needed. That was my role. If I wasn't being needed by someone, I didn't feel secure. I felt unsafe because I didn't know like, oh, they could leave me at any moment. If they don't need me, what's the point of them staying, Mm. right? So I would attract a lot of people who were very emotionally unstable. My ex-husband was one of them, extremely emotionally unstable. He was not given the tools to deal with his own emotions. And he was extremely abusive in many different ways. I did not have the marriage that I can say like, oh, there was nothing really wrong. It was like, there was so many things wrong. And I did such a good job at hiding those things from everyone in my life because I didn't want to be a burden. I wanted to appear that I was a rock, that I could hold everything all at once, all the time. And like, as you can imagine, that just became so heavy, Mm -hmm. so, so heavy. I started losing my hair. I started getting like really bad acne, like all over my back and on my face. I started losing a lot of weight. I was in bad shape and catalyzing event of my divorce happened, it was because I had exhausted all my resources of that mask that I was wearing. It had worn so thin that even I couldn't even, I was like, who am I? Mm -hmm. Like, who is this 
that's looking in the mirror. And why can nobody tell me who I am? When you're constantly looking for validation and worthiness from other people and their ability to take from you, you just end up being a very empty, very dried up cup. And when I looked into my life ahead of me, and I was only 30 years old at the time, when I looked at my life in front of me and I thought, is this all there is? Hmm. Is this as good as it gets? Because I had the marriage, I had the homes, I was in real estate, I was, we had a thriving real estate empire going, making a lot of money, I was driving a Porsche, I was traveling the world on a regular basis, and I was empty inside, and I was suffering quietly by myself. I had no one to turn to, I felt. And a lot of that was my choosing. And obviously, from a child's perspective, it wasn't my choosing from where it began. But at some point, you have to take responsibility for your life and stop acting from that place of the traumatized child and ask yourself, how did I choose this? Now, how can I parent myself in the ways that I need and stop dumping that and blaming that and saying, why can't I have more nurturing and why can't I have my needs be met? How can I meet my own needs? And so that's how I arrived at my own divorce and really making that tough call of enough is enough. I need to figure out where I went wrong and how this can never happen again for me. And that's when I began my journey to become a coach and to be where I am now. Wow, what a story. I want to say so many things. I want to ask <laughs> questions. But the first question that I want to ask, and I love what you said about we are these vessels, we are these cups, and I agree completely. We think that if we're just getting food and nourishment, that's all of our needs taken care of and a little bit of clothing and whatever else. But we have this spiritual side of us that needs to be reckoned with and that needs to be fed. And very often we go through life and we look at the outside and we think, oh, there must be overflowing but very often if all these things that you just talked about from childhood things that weren't necessarily considered traumatic or from an abusive environment so therefore you don't have like those kind of red flags of something has been wrong with me but you're still carrying them and you were somewhat somewhere taught that in order to be loved you had to empty your cup a little bit more and you were never taught how to refill it what were the things that you needed and yes, we get to these situations in life where maybe by society's standards, we're very successful, we're very fulfilled, but inside we are dying. And we find ourselves very, very often in that position where we have to look at our lives and say, do I keep going through life as a skeleton, an empty cup, which is an option, and many people take that option, and it's very respectful, no problems there, or do I stop, look inside, do all the work that needs to be done, and I start filling my cup up. Both options, equally fantastic. Most people, I really think, when we talk about the midlife crisis, it's not a midlife crisis, it's that sitting down and saying, which direction do I wanna go? So I wanna ask you, once you understood this is what's happening and I am in that moment, what made you decide to go with it? I am going to fill my own cup and I am going to no, I'm done the damage that's been done. I don't know what other better way to put it, but to, like you said, to take responsibility and say from here on, I am mm -hmm. going to 
acknowledge that child and parent that child and take control mm. of the rest of my life. I think it's been a journey. It's like a, they say like, this is the next chapter and it really is. Mm-hmm. It's almost like I turned a page and then began to read a new story. And it wasn't like, oh, it just then I was healed and I dropped everybody that was toxic in my life. It's no, like, I think the relationship that I had with my ex-husband was so incredibly toxic. I needed that hard of a punch in the face to stop the cycle that I was choosing for myself in so many different relationships in my life. It needed to be so crystal clear and so extremely bad because I would have excused it and kept going in this cycle of like, it's not that bad. It's not that I needed it to be so, so, so bad. So I'm thankful that it was, I'm thankful for that suffering because I would have excused that dull numbness of a life. It needed to be sharp and and hot and painful for me to get off and get out. So after that, I also ended the relationship with my best friend at the time who was the maid of honor in my wedding. I just recently had to draw really, really, really hard and clear boundary with my mother. That relationship I know had been toxic for a long time. And not that I don't ever want to have a relationship with her going forward, but it was not good for my mental health or my emotional health. It was extremely just destructive to my peace and my sense of self because I had a tendency to lose myself when she was around. And so I really creating that space with her really recently in the last couple of months has been this whole new journey for me to figure out how many spaces in my life I have to fill with me that were filled with her and the the considering of her feelings all the time. And so I think that to answer your question, what really led me to saying like, I'm done was, or not I'm done, but I'm ready to take care of myself and to take things into my own hands. There was an incident. This is another, I'm full of like stories, but this is the biggest, probably the biggest moment of my current life, I feel, as far as change goes. I was on a trip. We had gone traveling a lot, I mentioned. We were on a 16-day river rafting trip through the Grand Canyon with about 11 other people. And there's no cell reception. You're in the desert. You are completely self-sufficient as far as like bringing all the food you need for 16 days. It was 115 degrees at night. Extreme weather, extreme circumstances. And you really are facing yourself and the people around you are facing themselves and it it can get pretty ugly really quick and and it's dangerous the rapids are they kill people but it was the most epic adventure of my life and on day i think it was about day six i got stung by a scorpion and it was on my ankle and the thing about scorpion stings is that most of the time they don't leave a mark you just feel a sting and then slowly over the next day or two, you feel the venom traveling up through your body wherever it stings. And that limb, typically it's a limb, will feel like it's on fire and all of your nerves will just start like burning. 
So since it was on my ankle, it was debilitating to one of my legs. And as the pain traveled up, it moved into my, like the pain I could feel in my pelvis and my lower back. And then my other leg was just sort of like shaking from pain. And this happened over the course of like 40 hours. Since I was in this place of don't be a burden, don't ask for help, be a rock, be somebody that like has it all together. I didn't say anything for about 10 hours thinking it was just a little ant that bit me. There's no mark. I can't see 10 hours in. I was, the snot was coming out of my face and I was shaking and crying in my tent from the pain. And I remember turning to my ex-husband at the time who was in the tent with me and saying, really also being surprised that he didn't ask if I was okay, even though he knew I was shaking and crying and he, he could hear me. And I said, something's really wrong. I think that I need medical attention. I remember him turning to me and he said, shh, I'm trying to sleep. And Olga, it was that moment where I was like, I am my own hero. I need to take care of myself. I didn't ask him for help for 10 hours. Mm -hmm. Like there's something wrong with me because I held that in for so long. And how did I choose a partner who this is actually okay with him to treat me in this way where I'm clearly suffering and his response is zero compassion, zero empathy, zero help. I had to beg for my needs to be met. And it's like, at some point, you have to realize that you chose all of those things around you. I chose to be in the desert. I chose to be laying next to him. I chose to be staring up at my tent thinking, how did I get here? All of those choices led me to finally choose myself. And I remember thinking, when we get out of this canyon, I'm getting a divorce and I'm going to start looking after myself because nobody else is going to, if I'm also not going to, if I'm not willing to ask for help and willing to be a burden and say, Hey, I need support. I need help. Mm -hmm. Like there is nothing wrong with that. And, but the story that I had behind that was so skewed that I was choosing to put myself deeper and deeper into this isolation, into this suffering on my own. And I had to stop blaming everybody and surrounding myself with people who weren't going to be there for me. And I needed to start surrounding myself with people who were, and that meant me being vulnerable and saying like, I don't have it all figured out. In fact, I'm miserable. I need help. And so that was the big catalyzing story for me. And I very vividly remember thinking like, I chose this. I need to choose differently from here on out. It's incredible that you had that moment of clarity because I feel that people like who you were describing as you were, disempowered humans, it's because we have created these patterns from the relationships in our lives and we make sure that we continue those patterns. So we choose those people that need us and we will never be able to need them. So when you get to that moment where you're in so much pain and you're asking for help, it's incredible that you had that clarity of not saying, oh, that's okay. This is because I don't ask for help. This is because I shouldn't have these needs. Let's keep quiet and continue that pattern for the rest of your life or until your body couldn't take it anymore. At that moment, you said, this just doesn't add up. I am in pain. Any human being, especially my beloved, 
should be all over me trying to help me. And you chose at that moment to take your power back. All those mm -hmm. times that you said, no, it's okay. You were taking that power. You were giving it away a little bit more. And you said, no, I am going to find the people who will help me, which is a huge paradigm shift. It doesn't sound like it, but for people, and I consider myself in the same category. I'm the one that don't need anybody and the lone wolf because I don't want to ask for help because in the past I have surrounded myself with people who would not give me that help, who were there because they needed me and they didn't want to, me need them. So whenever I asked for help, it was a much more painful experience because it was like you were dealing with the pain of the scorpion, right? And then you have to deal with the pain of rejection from the person that yeah. is supposed to be there. So you kind of internalize this thing like, oh yeah, I apologize, I even asked for help. Instead of saying, wait a minute, that's not how relationships are supposed to work. We are here for each other. It's a give and take and it's a caring for the other person. So sometimes we think that we need this incredible, I don't know, mind-blowing moments, accidents, diseases, loss of jobs or something critical to get to that point. But you found that clarity in a tent, in a painful moment, mm -hmm. and you stuck with it. So once you leave that canyon, I can just mm -hmm. imagine you just rolling <laughs> faster to get out. <laughs> just like, get me out of here. <laughs> Everybody was probably like, what's up with her? <laughs> Oh but God. once you get back to civilization, this is also very important. How did you stick with it, okay? Because we are very good at then going, oh, that was a temporary moment of insanity. What am I thinking about? I have the life, I have the success, and he's all right. How mm. did you stick with it? How did you go back and you didn't sort of mm. stick it under the rug? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like you were saying, sometimes we don't have these big, like, traumatic experiences. I felt like that scorpion sting was the physical aspect of it made it crystal clear for me because I would always excuse the emotional pain. So if I had lost a family member and he ended up shaming me for crying, which he would do, that's an unseen need. That's something that was easier for me to reason through like, oh, well, like maybe I was just being overly dramatic with that in my family. Or maybe I was just needing to give him space because I was being too much of a burden. When it came to that physical experience of my body literally like screaming at me, you need help. It was an easier thing for me to remember because I even talking about it now, I can still feel what that was. And it's funny that it's it was in my legs and my hips because that's where I believe our instincts really originate from. There's different areas in the body that I believe that you can feel your intuition, your instincts. The ones that are in your hips there, those are the ones that are telling you to run. And if you go back into the caveman days of being chased by a saber-toothed tiger, you wouldn't sit there and try to find reasons behind, I see a saber-toothed tiger what would be the result if I stayed or if I walked or if I ran? Your body takes over and you start running. Your intuitive body, run, it goes. Mm -hmm. And so looking back after that all happened and seeing where the pain was really the most felt was in that area for me of like, walk away, run, get out. And so for me, I kept reminding myself of that pain and of how it really didn't make any sense 
for him to not want to help me as a partner. Like there was really no argument. I was literally in physical pain. I was suffering. And so it was very, very hard for me not, it was very, very hard for me to want to go back to the way things were, but I did. And I got out of the canyon. We lived together for probably two more months before I separated. And during those two months, it was bad. I was full of resentment. I was full of bitterness, feeling invisible. I was depressed. This is when I began to talk about it. I finally felt like I could tell my friends what had happened in the canyon. And they were finally giving me feedback like, that's not normal. That's not healthy. I was finally beginning to see. And really, Olga, I think it was the me finally being vulnerable and saying, uh, asking for help from others, even though I was still married and still in the home with him, speaking out to my friends and hearing them reflect to me, you're right to be angry. You're right to not, to be very, very angry, to feel ignored, to feel neglected. Like all of your feelings are valid. And it was through the validating reflections of my support system that I felt supported enough to actually stay away. The very last month or the last day really that I lived in the house with him. So I stayed with him for two more months. It was, or not even month and a half after that. And my grandmother ended up dying and it was on her funeral that I was crying and on our drive, he had gone to the funeral with me, but on the drive home, he asked me something along the lines of, how long are you going to be crying about this one? And I was already so mad. I was already so disgusted by him and by me. And when I got home, he said, maybe you should go stay at your best friend's while you cry. And so I left. She lived uh, about an hour and a half away from me and I never came back. That was my separation. That was when that began. And I think it was because through that month and a half that I was getting the support from my friends. I was hearing that what I was feeling was valid. And that final little like twist of the knife was like, I'm never returning home. It was enough to keep me away forever. So it did take some time, even with that scorpion sting and all that. I think the beginning gears had started to turn when I decided I need to do a better job at saying I need support and raising my hand and talking about it. And when you're going through a big life transition, and this is why I coach people in this very state, you need support. It is scary as hell to go through any transition in life alone. Mm -hmm. And so the first step is saying, I'm about to make some big changes. I think I need some support in my life. And if you don't have the support of friends or family, hiring someone like a coach, which is also what I did at that time, it can be the difference between staying in a marriage that is very, very terrible or just one that you don't even want to be in. It doesn't have to be terrible. It can be the difference between staying and going. And for me, it was.
I completely agree. And that's something that I would like to leave it on that note that please find the help. I found myself in the same situation thinking I could do it myself. I shouldn't bother anybody. And it wasn't until I hired my coach to help me through the divorce that I was able to move forward. And then looking back, I go, why didn't I do this with every transition in my life? Because mm -hmm. it just made it so much harder as opposed to have that guy, that person that is going to support you. It's transitions are tricky and nobody teaches us how to do them. So I want to tell everybody, I know that you resonated as much as I resonated with Leah's beautiful mm -hmm. stories. She is a super talented coach. If you are going through a transition, even if it's what you said at the beginning, you're just changing those mindsets. That's huge transition going from the mm -hmm. old you to the new you. I need the assistance. Do not hesitate to contact her. I'm going to put all your information down on the notes, but if people want to find you, where is the best place to reach? You can find me on my website, liferemade.com. I'm also on Instagram pretty often at Leah E. Morris. So those are kind of the two places you can find me. I keep it just really transparent and real on all of my social media. And I love connecting with people through there. So yeah, reach out to me if any of this resonated with you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for opening your heart and sharing your stories. Thank you, darling. Thanks for having me. We'll see you all next week. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Remember to subscribe and review my podcast because I love hearing from you. You can also follow me on Instagram at Divorce for Love and join our Facebook group in the show notes.